Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. It's one of Baltimore City's most iconic landmarks, serving the state of Maryland for 86 years. Now the Enoch Pratt Central Library is starting a new chapter after an historic $115 million renovation. It's a place that's provided access to all people. Now, the Central Library will provide new opportunities for generations to come. Heidi Daniel is the president and CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and has been overseeing the Central Library renovation for more than two years. Heidi, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So how does it feel to be at the finish line? (laughs) I mean, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of like, I feel like there was a marathon happening and I was tagged in like about halfway through and had to finish, but without mentally preparing for the (laughs) (laughs) those last few, few stretches of the race. But it's great. So it is literally that feeling of when you see the finish line and you're like, I just know I can do this, right? If we just get through these final phases, the building is done. And the September 14th grand reopening uh, sort of marked that that finish line for us. So it's been amazing to see this building really come back to life mm-hmm. and to reach its full potential as a building. Mm-hmm. What You have um, been involved in a lot of renovation projects in previous library systems. So was it a different kind of challenge, kind of stepping in halfway through a renovation? It is definitely a different kind of challenge. It's a different experience because when you work on a building project beginning to end, you are there for all of the original thoughts and you get to see those take place. And so when things are changing halfway through, you sort of understand what the origin is and what the end product will be. I think coming in halfway through the race, I was trying to honor the original vision of the building and really understand what the ideas were when they were put in place, while at the same time quickly adapting to you know, challenges that come up during construction projects, every construction project, (laughs) right? You hit that thing where, well, none of us knew this was going to happen, including the general contractor. So making those decisions about what changes needed to be made while still honoring the original vision and making sure that the end product was something that I could really embrace as a CEO as well. uh, It makes it a different experience, but it was a really positive one. I think the uniqueness of this building is also very different Sure. You know, this building is historical and a special piece of Baltimore history. And we really have to be cognizant of that during every step of the renovation and thinking about what the needs of a city will be moving forward into the future. Um, I was really glad to come into something with that vision there because it took me a couple of years to to get to know the city of Baltimore. I'm still learning about the city of Baltimore. So, um, you know, but knowing that this building needed to play an amazing role for the next hundred years or more. We've kind of touched on this already, but why do you feel like a renovation of this building, this iconic landmark in Mount Vernon, why was it so important for the city of Baltimore? Well, I think it's important because it's a incredible visual piece in Mount Vernon. So first of all, when you turn the corner and see the building with the windows fully restored, with artwork in the windows, um, 
it gives such a sense of history and pride and also possibility, which is what the building means on the inside and the outside. I mean, it was such a unique style of architecture when it was built. Mm -hmm. Um, Their director at the time, Joseph Wheeler, really had the idea of accessibility beyond his time. So he was thinking street entrances Mm -hmm. before anyone else was talking about, you know, universal accessibility design. So um, just having that street-level entrance. And the windows were there so that the librarians at the time could advertise to the public what was happening in the building and bring it to life like a department store. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the time period, you know, the Macy's stores would have been huge at Christmas. It was that same sort of feeling like, let's make this special and draw in the entire city. He brought stacks out for people to access that had never been accessed before. And just his belief that this building was for everyone, whether they be at the time housewives or, you know, manufacturers or titans of industry, it didn't matter. He wanted everyone to feel welcome in this building. So I think being true to that vision is really important even as we look at the vision that takes us into the next hundred years because that's still true today, right? We still look at this building and go, how do we make sure we're drawing in everyone that lives in the city of Baltimore Mm -hmm. and encompassing the whole wide diversity of our city and making sure that that they all want to walk through those doors? Um, I think carrying on that legacy feels awe-inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the building, because I don't think people actually realize. They look at the front of the building, they say, oh, it's a three-story building. That's nice. But it's way, way bigger than that. Yeah, because they don't see the three levels of stacks below the building to mm-hmm. start with. And those three levels of stacks are filled with books. They hold up the foundation of the building. During the renovation, some of the things that took place that people won't be able to see on the public levels are like widening of the aisles so that our staff could get through the stacks a little easier, Mm -hmm. uh, changing the lighting so it wasn't so dim and dark down there in the stacks, um, and some humidity control to really take care of our collections into the future, particularly our special collections. So we have three layers of stacks below the building. We also have stacks in the mezzanine levels as well. So there's a lot of the building that isn't necessarily visible from the outside, and it is really large. I have a funny story of when I first started, I was lost down in the stacks. Like literally, I I thought I would come down here one day on my own just to, you know, look at the building, which was under pretty heavy construction at the time and talk to the staff sort of on my own without an entourage. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) I found myself wandering around, I think the second level stacks and I had no idea how to get back out. (laughs) And I ran into one of our staff members and she was walking me out and then she asked, are you new here? And I said, oh yeah. And she said, oh, well, are you, what, 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 job do you do? Do you work at Central? And I was like, well, I'm the CEO. (laughs) And I think I remember her being like, you should have said that first. But we had a great conversation. And it was just, it's crazy how much of the building you don't see. Oh, yeah. And how large it really is and how much is being stored here. Mm -hmm. It's great that we were able to do a lot of behind-the-scene work, too, with all-new AV, new uh, brand-new fire suppression system, brand-new lighting and aisle widening, all of those things that make it a functional building for our staff as well as the public. Yeah, I always tell people we're just as excited for, like, the new HVAC system as we are for, like, the historic ceiling renovations. I'm really excited about the new water chilling system. Yeah, it's it's (laughs) great. We the love mechanical it. mechanical room is so lovely and, and clean. And <laughs> so what are some of the new departments that people can access when they come here? Some of the new, like the career center, um, things that the building didn't have before this renovation. Right. So the business, science, technology, engineering, and math 
section known as BSTEM existed before, but um, now it has a lot of additions. It is home to the Hillman Job and Career Center. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, classrooms set up, whether it's a group of two people, we have smaller classrooms that can accommodate two people, and we have larger classrooms that can accommodate up to 20 people. So we can do computer program classes in there. We can do resume workshops. We can do one-on-one job counseling, career counseling. We have a partnership with um, Dollar, the Maryland State Department of Labor uh, Licensing and Regulation, and they're going to be bringing a lot of their workforce and small business work into our building and uh, working out of some of those classrooms. Mm -hmm. So we have um, a lot more in the way of space offering in that department, as well as um, it'll complement our expanded partnerships and our expanded um, workforce development emphasis and our entrepreneurship and small business emphasis as well. So we have this great entrepreneur academy that we just launched and we're just finishing the second cohort that they'll be able to come here and Mm -hmm. have classes and access all of the resources available to them both electronically and physically in the central building. So that's a new space. Mm -hmm. Um, Humanities now is downstairs, um, including the fine arts, is all on the right side of the building when you enter from the street. And so those spaces have all been remodeled and refreshed. Of course, the gorgeous ceilings, the gorgeous floors. Fine Arts is on the um, mezzanine level and is a really inspiring space. So well lit. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of display space for our staff to get really creative and put forward new and exciting books. So that's really exciting to see. And we also have uh, our Best in Next, Mm -hmm. which is Sights and Sounds, but with more. So not only do we have our AV collection there right now, we also have current topics. The best of each department is on display, um, new releases. We have Vinyl, which we added recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's also very exciting. So that's all on the first floor. And then, of course, when you go up to the second floor, we have our new teen wing, which is incredibly exciting with the recording studio and editing booth. So we can really tap into the creativity and experience of the youth of our city to create some pretty magical art in here. Mm -hmm. Plus, we'll have our makerspace, which will have um, a wide variety of activities to really tie into those STEAM concepts, science, Mm -hmm. technology, engineering, art, math. Um, And the new teen wing, which is itself so large with a new classroom space. So we'll have two classroom spaces for teens um, and their new collection space with lounge-like seating and TV screens with gaming. And it's going to be amazing. And I hope really well used after school. And we also have the Barbara Mikulski room up on the third floor. Yeah, which, that's going to be really cool. Yeah, which is very exciting. So it has um, her memorabilia and some of her special collections that we get to display and show off. And then we also get to use that space for women leadership and literacy. So we'll be working on a lot of special programs for there and especially gearing up to the year of the woman. We'll want to um, have a lot of programming to really honor the vision of Senator Mikulski. Yeah, you know, we're officially opening that room like May 2020, right? Right, that's right. May 2020, date to be announced. Yes. But we're going to have a great round of programming for our um, Year of the Woman celebration. Pratt Writers Live is bigger than ever. Blockbuster names are coming to Baltimore, including Valerie Jarrett, Dan Rather, Colson Whitehead, John Meacham, and more. Be a part of the conversation at Central Library. More details at prattlibrary.org. The Children's Library, when you go downstairs, it 
even just in the stairwell starts to feel a little bit more magical than what it felt like before. Definitely. I love the fact that when you come into the children's space now, if you're going down the stairs, it's not just this weird sort of dimly lit Mm -hmm. stairwell. It's a magical experience as you travel down into the water with the fish. Mm -hmm. So there's this great mural that marks the way. And as you keep going down into the children's area, you have more water and more fish until it sort of brings you out right into the new children's center with an incredible mural done by Art with a Heart. It's gorgeous. And the community. Yes, it is so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. A nice 3D mermaid tail and (laughs) a crab really honoring Maryland. And also, if you look at the seaweed in that mural, Mm -hmm. um, it's very much based off of the architectural features in the building. So there are hints all around that uh, entrance area to the children's department of the architectural elements, particularly in the um, gates out in front of the building. Mm -hmm. So the seaweed sort of transforms or the gates sort of transform into seaweed there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that adds sort of the invitation to be part of the building and sort of magical sea life that surrounds us in Maryland and really brings you into this children's room. Mm Where, of course, we have our historical goldfish pond. Yes, the fish pond is back. Yes, who doesn't love the fish pond? (laughs) (laughs) With the fish. We're bringing back fish as well. And so that's fully restored and newly plumbed. So it can have a a nice new home for the fishies. And there's also a great interactive for the children that is based on the front piece of our building. So they can really interact with the building on a children's level. So maybe the window is a puppet stage. There's areas to write and be creative and draw. There's magnets. Um, And the furniture also reflects the fact that it's a children's space with a great alphabet table with sea life in it. So it makes it a little bit more developmentally appropriate for some of the younger kids. Sure. And then leads up to the more serious studies that some of the older kids might be doing with some tables for them to work and the computer lab as well. Mm -hmm. People hear about the price tag of the renovation, $115 million. Where did that money come from and why was it so important to have that kind of money invested in this building? Well, the money came from three different sources. So $95 million came from the state of Maryland. And that's because the Central Library of Enoch Pratt is also the State Library Resource Center for the state of Maryland. Mm -hmm. So we play that dual role of both being the central library in a city library system and the State Library Resource Center. So that's pretty special. And it was $95 million from the state that paid for the renovation. Um, Five million from the city of Baltimore, because of course we are in Baltimore City, servicing Baltimore City. And then 15 million of it was raised by our private donors with... Without them, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the really special features that you see throughout the building, um, the little extras that really make the building um, something special. So we're very grateful for those donors. And the building was important construction project, I think, because it is the State Library and the Central Library, the Pratt. It sort of brings together the city of Baltimore's role in the state of Maryland and the history that is there and the history that we hope our city is going to make, right? The future of our city. So I think restoring this building was really important and says a lot about the value of Baltimore City to the state of Maryland. And also it says a lot to the city about what they should expect and deserve. We have a big goal uh, this year of getting a million visits, a million people through the front door. So tell me, what is some of the blockbuster programming that people can look forward to for free inside the building? Yeah, so we have um, a large lineup starting in September. Um, Coming up, we have Rebecca Mm -hmm. Mackay, who wrote The Great Believers. 
and that's an incredible book. And we're thrilled that she's going to be here, National Book Award winner. We have Dan Rather coming up. We have Valerie Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Dorothy Gilliam coming. And those are just a few of the names right off the top of my sure. head that are on their way. I highly recommend everyone look at The Compass. Mm-hmm. Sign up right now to follow us on social media because we have blockbuster programs all year long for people. It'll be exciting. It will be. There are so many people that walk by, drive by um, this building. What would you say to somebody who maybe has never stepped foot in the building about what is here for them? Well, I would tell them to go ahead and park their car, (laughs) either on the street or in Franklin, and then come in the building because there's literally something in this building for everyone. First of all, it's really a building that is just... Walking around and looking at it is worth the time in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Every day I look out the windows that overlook Central Hall and I see people walking through the doors for the first time and looking up at the ceiling, at the skylight, looking around at the columns, the pillars, the terrazzo floor. And you can really see the awe in people's faces as Mm -hmm. they look around our spaces. So coming into the building for the experience of being in the building itself is worth your time. Walk around, go up to the mezzanine, look over the humanities department or over the science department and take in those views, those lights. Um, Our collection is extensive, and it does have everything from vinyl to, um, you know, old movies that you might not be able to find anywhere else Mm -hmm. to special art books that you're looking for. We have the Maryland uh, Room, which has huge archives for the state of Maryland, Mm -hmm. which has a lot of history and research. We have the African-American Room, which has two great pieces of art. Gorgeous. Uh, Yeah, amazing art hanging up in there. It's also just a beautiful space that has a lot of research that you can do there, a lot of history, genealogy work, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the largest collection of African-American authors in the state. So it's worth coming in, whatever your interest is. If it's a historical interest, you know, we have everything from Maryland Room to Mencken Room, it's uh, If you're just looking for something fun to do for the weekend, there's almost undoubtedly a program happening somewhere in the building. Um, or if you're an architecture buff, it's worth your time. Mm-hmm. So whatever your interest is, I can guarantee you we have something. If you have little ones, bring them in. You have teens, bring them in. Seniors, come on in. Mm-hmm. Something for everybody. Something for everybody. <laughs> All million people who walk through the door. Yeah. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking for a career change or a new opportunity? Stop by the Pratt Library Job and Career Center. Get resume help, interview assistance, and job search tips all for free. The new Job and Career Center at the Pratt Central Library, 400 Cathedral Street. You're free to be more at the Pratt. Imagine working on the same project for more than two decades. That is the kind of dedication demonstrated by our next two guests. John Richardson is the Pratt Library Chief of Facilities, who's helped oversee construction on this project for the library. Sandra Vicchio is the consulting architect who's been on the Central Library renovation since day one. Thank you guys for being here. We're happy to be here, Megan. Yeah. So what does it feel like now that the project is coming to completion? It has to be a weird feeling after having worked on it for so long. Uh, It's very interesting (laughs) that you say this project is coming to completion. It is indeed near the end of actual construction. But as with anything this enormous, there's just so many things to do, (laughs) all of which are positive enhancements and, you know, finishing touches to the project. So, you know, it's exciting, but challenging at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, improvements never end, right? Mm-hmm. What about for, Yeah. What about for you, Sandra? I think it's really exciting 
to be on this project for more than two decades, and there was an initial vision 20 years ago or more than 20 years ago, which was, of course, based on a library in a much older uh, model. Mm -hmm. So to be able to update that vision and then through the generosity of many of the donors here, incorporate a whole host of incredibly rich programmatic elements into offer programs that I don't think really exist in any other public library at the level that they will exist in this building. It's really rewarding, and it's kind of breathtaking. We're, we're working on, as John said, we're working on the finishing touches now, and I was walking the um, art consultant around the building a little bit earlier today, and she was just amazed at all the things we'd been able to accomplish here. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a happy thing. It's to turn this building over to this city and the state at this point in our history, and for the Pratt Library to be able to do all of the things it wants to be able to do, mm -hmm. it's a good feeling. Yeah. Senator, how many iterations of the plan have there been over the years? Because like, 25 years ago, the type of technology that exists now, you know, it didn't exist then. And then 25 years from now, trying to build a building that can be flexible to whatever's next, and we certainly don't know what that is. Right. So there have been a number of iterations, but I think what's really interesting is that the original vision that was established by Joseph Wheeler, and I think most people give him credit, the, the librarian under whose direction this building was built, they give the credit to him mm -hmm. for looking forward and thinking about how the library should be. He's the one who wanted the entrance at grade, at, like a department store where a mother could wheel it a pram in as opposed to the temple raised up on the pedestal with the big flight of steps going to the see front it, door. A bunch of the other libraries. Exactly. Libraries. So he had a different view of how this library should function. And I think the wonderful thing about this building is this while it's strong and heroic, it is open and flexible on the interior. And it is the structure of this building that enabled the Pratt and the architects to establish the vision and put the plan in place. So we've kind of gone back in a way more to the original plan mm -hmm. in some ways. And of course, the creation of this whole teen wing, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be in and of itself. Um, this wing that we're sitting in right now is going to open a lot of doors for people, don't you think? Well, I certainly hope so, because that's certainly the intent. And we were having a conversation back in the, the programming phase, and we were talking about how, you know, a couple of us had been up the night before helping our children do homework with computers, and the CEO looked at us and said, well, what about the children who don't have that? So from that moment on, we kind of decided we were going to try to figure out how to provide all of these services for the kids in the city who don't have access to them on their own. Mm -hmm. So that was huge. And it, it enlarged this teen programming from about 2,000 square feet, I think, to five times that amount yeah. of space. That's amazing. It is amazing. John, what have been some of the challenges working in a historical, huge, city block-long building like this? Um, a very endless list of challenges. Uh, some of the most daunting were just the existing conditions of the facility once you got the skin peeled off. Mm -hmm. you, know, um, you know, we found that the majority of the building structure was uh, terracotta block, which yeah. really was not anticipated. It's not a material that lends itself well to having things attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, you remove certain elements of the building 
that terracotta block is not structurally sound. Um, it was a great material when it was originally used in the 1930s, but it's not measurably comparable to any modern construction materials. So the fact that, you know, that was the predominant material, obviously you can imagine getting into walls and finding the various deposits of hazardous materials that were oh, not sure. anticipated. Always a impediment to mm -hmm. good construction planning. You know, you'd have to stop and create containments and do lots of unanticipated demolition adventures. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think overall, just the fact that there were so many unknowns, even with the amount of time that was spent in advance of doing investigation and trying to anticipate everything that was going to have to be touched, you know, there was no way to really put a quantification on that. So, mm -hmm. Well, the blueprints were not like the same as they, you know, that many years Absolutely ago, not. not as detailed. Absolutely not. And as Sandra has referenced uh, previously, you know, when we revisited the design of this building, you know, I'd say probably it was like a 30% redesign from what was originally planned. The whole building design was created and complete in 2000. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine in 2010 when we reopened the plans, we were dealing with new building codes, new technologies, even for basic infrastructure. A lot of the technologies that were envisioned to be the drivers of those infrastructure components was significantly different. So you know, just the challenge of incorporating that new infrastructure vision with the more futuristic uh, programmatic vision was a challenge to, you know, synthesize those two things sure. together. Mm -hmm. Were there hidden things that you found, like we said, the blueprints didn't tell you necessarily all of the artistic elements in the building. Were there things that were uncovered that you were surprised at how well-preserved they were, how beautiful they were. Were there things that kind of took your breath away? Yeah, so, of course, the big one that comes to mind is the ceiling in the teen reading and resource room, which had been hidden under these hideous 1950s. <laughs> and I'll use that term no, gently. That's pretty hideous. <laughs> that's 1950s um, egg crate fluorescent light fixtures, and they were, I don't know, 10 feet square, 12 feet square, and the good news is when they put those in on the second floor, they only did a light wash of white paint over top of the existing ceiling condition, and then they installed the fixtures. So when they took the fixtures down and started removing that whitewash of paint, it was very easy to see the existing pattern that mm -hmm. was then revived in the ceiling and to bring that ceiling back to life. It was not as easy, in fact, nearly impossible on the ceiling of the first floor in mezzanines because when they did that same lighting upgrade in the 1950s, someone thought it would be a great idea to paint the ceiling black. Oh, so it was, Lord. It was, not only was it unattractive, but it was much more difficult to document the patterns behind it. But with some photographic work and the expertise on the team from um, Evergreen Fine Arts, they were able to uncover the patterns and then bring those back to light. And those were actually produced off-site and then applied in the field. Because mm -hmm. you can imagine how long it would take if someone were doing that Michelangelo style yeah. across mm -hmm. the entire first floor. Exactly. What does it mean to you now when you walk into that first floor and see those beams restored? I've looked at some of the photos, the 1933 photos, and it looks like you're stepping back in time, but in a really magical way. 
It, I mean, you know, I'm not easily, you know, I don't have a lot of wow moments. <laughs> um, no, not you, Jeff. But I do when I walk around this building. Mm-hmm. You know, on those occasions when I can separate myself from the things I'm doing and my immediate recollections of, you know, what happened yesterday, what happened last week, you know, it's really pretty awe-inspiring to see the overall beauty of the things that have been done in this building. I mean, even down to the refinishing of the wood and the refinishing of the existing furniture that we've done. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Mm -hmm. Work like that isn't really done anymore, right? I mean, it's hard to invest that amount of money into doing work like that now. So if we were trying to do all of that from scratch, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be really, really challenging. And I have to say, working on this project gave me a whole new appreciation for what detail and artistic expression in the ceiling can do for a series of spaces. Because so many times today, we solve the ceiling problem with two-by-two accessible ceiling panels because it's cost-effective. You can get behind them for wiring and data access. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it also helps with acoustics. So being able to take on and execute the restoration of those ceilings was pretty amazing. And I don't think we would have been able to do all of that work without the generosity of the donors who made so many of these finishing touches possible, like the restoration of the beautiful wood furniture that was original to the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't buy those tables now. It would have been prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. How do you hope people utilize the building? How do you hope it's used in the future? And how is it seen sort of as this landmark in the city of Baltimore? So I'm going to say that I hope they use it respectfully. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they realize what an incredible treasure that they have here on this hillside in Baltimore that was the vision, again, of generosity of an individual in this city, like Mm -hmm. many of our city's treasures. And I hope they use the assets here that are not just, and be inspired not just by the architecture, but go ask these librarians questions because There's some librarians here who are incredibly knowledgeable, and you can learn so much. So if people can come here and learn and grow and be better, that's what I would hope for. Mm -hmm. John, what do you hope for the customers? I hope that people take full advantage of all of the programmatic enhancements that are state-of-the-art today. And I hope that we, as the stewards of the library, utilize the flexibility that was built into the project to increase the usability and programmatic capabilities of the building Mm -hmm. for the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. Because that was a major part of what we've done during this renovation and what we found to be the case from those who built the building originally. It had a lot of flexible capabilities. Mm -hmm. My last question for both of you is what does this project mean for you on a personal level? Because you have spent so much and invested so much in the project. What does it mean to you personally? Well, I think for me, it's been an incredible opportunity to give back to an institution who's been incredibly good to me. I mean, working with the Pratt Library has been an honor and a privilege, and doing that to help make Baltimore a better city. Mm-hmm. It's really as much a gift to me as, <laughs> as as it is, you know, my work and my efforts toward doing this. So while it's going to be kind of bittersweet to see it all come to an end, I think I can move forward in my career and feel 
proud that I did something that should help Baltimore be a better place. Mm-hmm. And John, what does it mean to you personally? Well, my participation and my contributions, such as they are to this project, are the you know single most important thing I've done in my career. I mean, I've done other projects much smaller than this, lots of other stuff, but, you know, this is unequal to anything else that I've ever had a, been a part of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll be forever proud of being able to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Well, on behalf of Baltimore, thanks to both of you for everything you've done, and thanks for being guests today. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Get a library card without leaving your home. The new Pratt eCard allows users to access ebooks, e audiobooks, streaming movies, TV, databases, and more. Get yours today at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow The Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another free-to-be-more conversation. Thanks for listening.